You're listening to Matt Walsh on demand. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Look for good. That's what love is about. We all feel the reaction of anger, but we need to try and initially stifle that and look for good. Good in intention, good in action, and good in in every deed and word from a person. Pure Opelka. Saturdays, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the Matt Walsh Podcast. Thank you for listening. Okay, so a uh, a teacher in Colorado is suing his school district over what he calls religious discrimination because he says that the public school where where he teaches has an inappropriate relationship with an evangelical church nearby. Uh, Mr. Robert Basevitz filed a lawsuit saying that... um, the school where he works is promoting, promoting religion. And he says that because there's a, a church nearby called the Cowboy Church at Crossroads, which is led by a pastor named Pastor Randy Faff, I believe. P-F-A-F-F. Pfaff. Let's call him, let's just call him Pfaff. So Randy Pfaff rents um, cafeteria space at the school to hold services on Sunday mornings and he also hosts prayer meetings around the flagpole before school each day. And he also does uh, Bible studies during lunch periods in which uh, students are not forced to attend, but they can attend. And so now there's a whole lawsuit going on because, because the, the, the teacher, uh, Basevitz, says that uh, Pastor Pfaff has no right to be there and that religion and government should not mix and this is a public school, it's very inappropriate and blah, blah, blah. And he's, he, he feels discriminated against and he feels like he's, uh, he feels very uncomfortable and, and it, it's made his tummy hurt and, and he just, and it's, it's caused a lot of emotional anguish and, and so now he's fil- filing a lawsuit. Now, while this is going on, there's also a story about a, a Marine veteran named uh, Monifa Sterling and she arrived to work one day back in May of 2013 and she found that three copies of an inspirational Bible verse that she had hung in her workplace had been torn down and tossed in the trash. And, and this happened over a period of time where she, where she got into conflicts with her superiors uh, and they claimed that she should not be hanging Bible verses in her workspace and because it made other people uncomfortable. And again, it made their tummy hurts. And a lot of people just, a lot of atheists are getting their tummies hurt um, a lot of atheists and non-Christians are getting their tummies hurt when they when they see people reading the reading the Bible or or praying around them. It's it's just it's very it causes a lot of turmoil and it's it's very upsetting sometimes to see that. Now I personally don't get it because whether I'm at work or if I was at school or anywhere really, um, public or private property, if there's someone of another religion and they're expressing religious piety. And um, I don't know, praying or quoting a verse from their holy scripture, it's not going to really upset me. And I certainly wouldn't say that, that they don't have the right to do it, because it, if if somehow it did upset me, which it wouldn't, I still wouldn't say they didn't have the right to do it. So all this brings us back to the question about separation of church and state, and uh, this this whole idea, this this controversy over an argument about um, is our nation a nation founded on a belief in God or not. 
And I like to have that conversation, but I think that first I have to start with an appeal to the disciples of the Church of Atheism, uh, the Church of Secularism. And it's, it's this, that I just, I just wish that they would be honest with us and with one another. Um, you know, I, I've always been told that conflict resolution has to begin with honesty. So I think that we should, that, that we should try to have this debate honestly. So here's how an honest argument would go on this subject, okay? The um, atheist secularist would say, you know, this is what they would say. They would say, you know, I, I would like to fundamentally change the United States of America, all of its customs, its traditions, its laws, uh, the philosophy that serves as the foundation for its mission of freedom and liberty. And um, I would like to uh, transform it into a nation of secularism and agnosticism because and then they would list all the reasons why. And then I would respond and I would say, well, that's a horrible idea because and I would list all the reasons why. And we could go back and forth from there and we could yell and scream and 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 uh, and and fight and everything. And um, eventually, possibly, maybe, hopefully, theoretically, at some point, we could reach some sort of consensus or understanding of some kind about something. It would at least be a coherent conversation that we could have. And then it would end, and we'd shake hands, and we would go, and we would get Italian ice together. Okay, that's, it would be a lot of fun. But unfortunately, our arguments tend to be less fruitful than that, and they never end with us exchanging uh, warm smiles and eating delicious treats. And we rarely reach an understanding at all. And it's hard to find anything constructive about the whole exercise because the argument is not honest. The argument is not honest because it usually goes something like this. This is usually how it goes, okay? The, the atheists or secularists will say, I insist that the United States of America was founded as a bastion of secularism, and it was never intended that God or religion be recognized in any official capacity at all for any reason, and that the First Amendment guarantees me the right to be insulated from any mention of the divine in the public square at all. And then I'll respond and I'll say, well, here's a thousand reasons why you're wrong about that. And they'll respond and they'll say, well, religion causes war. Catholic priests are pedophiles. The Pope wears a funny hat. Imaginary sky wizard. Crusades. Blah, blah, blah. Galileo. And then, they, they, you know, they just, start, they just start listing bad things about religion. But we've gotten away from the central question, which is whether or not historically and legally our country was founded as a place where we could all be free from religion. See, I don't mind arguing against the atheistic ideal um so atheists you think that the country would be better served if god and religion were contained solely in our churches and our homes and eventually not even there and that's fine you know it's fine that you think that i don't agree but that's a fine point of view that you can have it's a point of view that we can discuss but instead the problem is you try to claim uh that your ideal is actually how our country was supposed to look so rather than saying, I want the country to look this way, you're saying it was supposed to be this way all along. You're defying all the proof to the contrary, and, and you say that this is what our founders were trying to establish. You claim that the First Amendment fundamentally protects us from being exposed to religion, and that it forbids any official mention or recognition of God. And you say that the First Amendment from the very beginning was meant to ban things like manger scenes outside of town halls and Ten Commandment posters in public school hallways and people praying out at the flagpole and, you know, Marines putting up Bible verses in their workplace, 
And you claim that, but these claims are utterly erroneous. They're lies, and you know it. It's absurd. The country was founded, as you know, on a belief in a creator God, and has officially endorsed that concept from the very beginning. The people who wrote the First Amendment themselves officially and explicitly endorsed the concept that our country is grounded in a belief in God. They, they didn't just endorse it. They, they set it up that way. It's not really up for debate. It's, it's just everywhere. It's, it's obvious. It's self-evident. You may wish to turn America into something else, but don't pretend that you're turning it into what it was always designed to be. Have the courage of your convictions. Make your case for an atheist America, but don't stand there and tell me that America has always been atheist because that's ridiculous. And the evidence against you is absolutely staggering, okay? There are five mentions of God in the Declaration of Independence. In God We Trust, the motto found in the National Anthem on coins dating as far back as 1860. The Continental Congress issued the first national proclamation of thanksgiving to God. Okay, the Continental Congress called for a national repentance of sins. Church services were held inside the Capitol building during the time of the founders. Thomas Jefferson himself attended church inside the Capitol building. The presidents swear on a Bible. Now, this is not required, but it's a custom that, that, that many have followed. And George Washington kissed a Bible after swearing, swearing his oath. So this goes all the way back to the beginning. Swearing on a Bible in court, okay, so help you God. Federal oaths that require federal officials to say, so help me God. The chaplain of the United States Senate. Every Senate session beginning with a prayer. George Washington himself saying, it's the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly to implore his protection and favor. The duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of God. That's George Washington, the first president. John Adams said the Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. And the list goes on and on. And I know that, 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 you know, two can play at the Founding Fathers religious quotes game, I realize. And I'm sure hundreds of secularists are, are busily Googling Thomas Jefferson anti-religion quotes as we speak. And it's true um, that some of the founders were very skeptical of organized religion as opposed to disorganized religion, I guess. I'm not really sure what the, you know, organized religion, disorganized religion. But, but none of them were atheists. Jefferson was a deist. Um, a fact that only really enhances the case for him being very accepting of God in public square because deists believe that the truth of a divine creator can be ascertained through observation and reason. In other words, they viewed God as an absolute reality, same as, you know, any other theist, but they disagreed on the application of the reality. Now, would Jefferson or Franklin, deists, uh, both of them, think that the government that governors of men should be required to ignore the absolute reality of God? I doubt it. And there's nothing to indicate that they did feel that way. The Declaration of Independence seems to indicate otherwise. After all, if we don't uh, need to cherry-pick random statements from dead men uh, or, or even analyze the religiosity that is undeniably ingrained in our official laws and customs, we, we don't need to do any of that. We only need to think about the philosophy that serves as the foundation of our country. And it's a philosophy of natural rights. Our natural rights 
come from natural law. And natural law, particularly since Augustine and later Aquinas and Summa Theologica, has been understood always as a set of foundational moral laws that are inherent in human beings. And natural law and thus natural light rights either come from nature itself or they come from the creator of nature. And if they come from nature itself, then all democratic notions are in stark defiance of natural law. Okay, because in nature, the strong survive and the weak are preyed upon. This is the law of the jungle, the law of nature, the law of beasts. We, however, have always subscribed in America to this very transcendent kind of notion that all human, human beings possess a certain dignity which entitles them to certain liberties. Even in cases where there doesn't appear to be anything about them individually that warrants that kind of consideration, we still think they, oh, they're owed it because it's inherent to, to, to human life. And this immaterial dignity couldn't just come through an evolutionary process. It was endowed somehow. Endowed by a creator. So the Declaration of Independence might not be a legal document, but it is a philosophical document. It's America's manifesto. And it explains that we have rights which are endowed on us by a creator God. Every good thing about America has grown from this very basic starting point. And then I know we get into, well, but the separation of church and state. And I don't want to insult you and insult your intelligence by reminding you that no such phrase exists in the Constitution. I don't want to do that. In fact, the First Amendment makes no mention of separation, church, or state in any order or combination. The First Amendment puts no limit on religion at all. Instead, it limits the government's ability to interfere in religion and permanently codifies our right to the free exercise thereof. So when Jefferson used the now notorious phrase separation of church and state in his letter to the Danbury Baptist, he was describing a one-sided wall where the corruption of the government should not be able to infiltrate and infect the operations of the church. And he was right about that, you know. That's why church, separation of church and state is very important. Separation of church and state is important not for the sake of, of the state, but for the sake of the church. And he only chose, Jefferson, those particular words because he was speaking to Baptists. And he thought it might resonate with that crowd considering the founder of the Baptist church in America, Roger Williams, had written 150 years earlier about the need for a, quote, wall of separation between the garden of the church and the wilderness of the world. So... When the Supreme Court later used this letter to justify its legal opinion in Everson versus Board of Education, it was really deciding case law based on part of a sentence written by a 17th century Baptist preacher. Okay? Stellar work there, isn't it? And that's why you see that to claim a violation of the First Amendment because people pray or study the Bible in school is absurd. I don't care what any court or politician says, it makes no sense. And we know that because we can simply read the First Amendment. And the First Amendment, if you read it, it says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Then it goes on to other things that have nothing to do with the religion. Now, does one create a law by praying in school? Has Congress mandated that people pray in school? Is a Bible study in school the same as the federal government mandating a state religion? Answers, no, no, no. Despite how it's been erroneously interpreted by activist judges, um, we, we should still, as literate people, be able to read the text. So once we've gone through the history 
uh, you know, American history and we've looked at the philosophy under uh, underpinning all of these things. And once we've done that, we can actually look at the, what the law itself says, not how it's been interpreted by by dishonest people, but, but, but what it actually says. And the only limitation that's put on religion, and it's not really a limitation at all, as we've seen, but the only, uh, you know, sort of limitation put on it is when it says Congress, Congress shall make no law establishing, uh, respecting an establishment of religion. Congress shall make no law, which means whatever's happening in regards to religion, as long as it's not Congress doing it, and as long as what they're doing is not making a law, and as long as the law they're making is not respecting an establishment of religion, it has nothing to do with the First Amendment, and it is not an infringement on the First Amendment. So what does that mean? <clears throat> let's say there's a Bible study in school. Let's ask ourselves. A Bible study in school. Who decided to do the Bible study? Was it uh, someone in the school? A teacher, principal, superintendent? Whoever? Okay. Are they Congress? No. Have they been mandated by law that they must do this? No. And even if, here's the crazy thing, even if it was mandated by state law, which it isn't anywhere in the country, but let's say that the state, uh, wherever this happened in, I forget now, was it South Carolina? Colorado. Okay. This would never happen, especially in Colorado. But let's say the Colorado state government passed a law mandating that Bible studies be taught in all schools. That, and I know that this just throws everyone for a loop, but that would not be an infringement on the First Amendment. Because the First Amendment is very explicit. And I'm not saying that I think states should do this, but they could. And in fact, during the time of our founding, many states had established Religions. They had established churches in many states at the time of our founding. So this goes very far back. And that was not an infringement on the First Amendment because the First Amendment explicitly and clearly singles out Congress. Capital C, Congress. It singles them out and says they cannot make an establishment of religion. But that means that states, schools, towns, localities, municipalities... Uh, whatever other, you know, individual buildings and courthouses, all of these things, they can make up their own mind about what they want to do when it comes to religion. It's up to them. That's what it means. And that's not my interpretation of what it means. That's just what it means. That's what it says very clearly. So it's like if you wrote down on a piece of paper, you wrote down uh, the sentence, the sky is blue. It's not my interpretation that you mean to convey that the sky is blue. That's just exactly what you said. Now, if I'm very creative, I could look at your sentence, the sky is blue, and I could claim that what you really meant to say was that, you know, cows are red, or, or up is down, or even the sky is not blue. I could claim that you meant to say that, and if I'm really creative, I could come up with some very interesting ways of, of defending that idea. But in the end, I'm just running in a lot of circles and, 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 and going to great lengths to try to distract from the fact that I'm claiming you said exactly what you didn't say. 
I'm claiming that you wrote the opposite of what you wrote while everyone else can simply read what you wrote and see that my interpretation is precisely the opposite of what you actually said. And that's what's happening with the First Amendment. Not only are atheists and secularists uh, misinterpreting it, quote unquote, but they're claiming that it means exactly, precisely the opposite of what it meant. And often they get away with this kind of uh, uh, propaganda and they've gotten away with it here too. Um, And I just, you know, it it gets a little annoying sometimes. The country was built by God-fearing men and women who intended to enshrine and protect the very rights that could only come from God himself. God has always been central to America, both officially and unofficially, publicly and personally. That's always been the case. This is the incontrovertible truth. It is a historical reality and not one that can be reasonably debated. If you would like to change America into something else, you are free to try. But you should have the guts to admit what you're doing. And you should be honest about it. That's all I'm trying to say. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, That's going to do it for me. I'll talk to you next week. Akruche Salus. Godspeed, everybody. The Blaze Radio Network. Streaming worldwide 24-7 at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Truth lives here.